Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the SOS Simmons on Sports Radio Show and Podcast. Today I have a special guest. He was a uh, uh, player at North Carolina State. Uh, he was a Wolfpack player. <laughs> and he uh, also played the NBA. Of, he's like NBA veteran. veteran. That's my man. Chucky, how you doing today, man? Thanks for coming to the show. Hey, thank you. Man, uh, I really appreciate this, and I really appreciate your patience. I was uh, having a little problem signing on, but thank you so much. (laughs) I explain to people all the time that this is an inexact science, man, so I ain't tripping. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, that's good. (laughs) Technology, man. You know how that goes. We're as good as it is. (laughs) That's right. So check this out. Let's start from the beginning, man. As a young man coming up, uh, explain to people where you're from, how you got, how you started playing the game, uh, where you, what your part of the country you're from, and how you came up in this game of basketball. Okay, I was first. I was born and raised in New York City. Stayed in New York till um, I was in the ninth grade. Uh, grew up playing on the playgrounds a lot, so. Um, you know, a lot of the times when you're on the playgrounds, you don't shoot a whole lot of jump shots because, so, you know, you, you, <laughs> you shoot a jump shot and, the, and, the, and the, the ball get caught in the wing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah, take that thing to the hole. I was always good at uh, driving. And um, uh, when I got to the ninth grade, uh, I tried out for the freshman team at Cardinal Hayes High School. Okay. Uh, didn't make um, but but was good enough to make it. But the coach told me he was keeping another kid over me because he was, well, you know, that was fine. It was all good. But he told me that I should come out next year. So I was just like, I was just like, uh, I was just like, you know, I'll come out next year. Um, but then my my grandmother had gotten sick, and my father's from a uh, small town, Nevada, uh, North Carolina, which is down by oh, okay. Wilmington. So my father decided. Yeah, so my father decided, you know what, we're going to move out of the city. The city was getting rough. Uh, the crack had just moved oh, into boy. the neighborhood. And you know, I grew up in Harlem, so, you know, so we, we was in the hood. So my father was like, you know what, it's best to get out of here now. So we got out, moved to North Carolina, where I, I went to North Brunswick High School. And, you know, it's just amazing how things work out. And I ran into um, the coach there was Coach Cliff mm-hmm. Gibson, who had played Division One mm-hmm. basketball at uh, East Tennessee State. Uh, so he was about six, seven, uh, you know, big guy. So Coach Gibson, um, you know, kind of took me under his wing. And um, I mean, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I was just. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it happened. Um, but, you know, Coach Gibson me under his wing. And, uh, you know, he stayed on me like he was like a father away from home. Like when I when I wasn't around my father, he was watching me. So I couldn't really do no dirt. <laughs> at school <laughs> watching me at school so you know it, which was good for me uh wasn't wasn't able to get into any mess so he stayed on me and um he brought me up to uh nc state uh that's the first place he brought me to nc state basketball camp and that's where i ran into um coach valvano at nc state basketball camp and i really took a liking to him you know simply because of the fact that you know i had just moved down here from new york and I wanted to be around some other New Yorkers, and he was, right. he was from Queens. So, 
Um, and he had uh, Ernie Myers was on the team. He was from Harlem, and Lorenzo mm-hmm. Charles was on the team. He was from Brooklyn, and um, you know, Tavia Benz had came around. Tavia Benz was from the Bronx, so you know, I'm right there. I'm I'm feeling you know back in my element there. I'm like, all right, cool. I got some city cap. You know what I'm saying? Well, did it's you all know good, those so. guys before you came to NC? You actually knew them, or were they just from the city no, and that you I, already knew how to vibe? That that they was from the city. I did not know them. They was from okay. the city, and it was just a vibe. It's like you know, if you're from LA, you move to Virginia, and you right. find out there's a crew group of LA people meeting up at <laughs> at the at the local Hooters. You gonna go to the local Hooters and see, you know, who? Is, let right. me see the vibe here. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. what that was. I uh, I ended up playing my sophomore. I was real raw, um, and my sophomore year, I ended up playing varsity and. and um, uh, I came off the bench playing varsity, but I was I was playing varsity and I, I felt good and I was getting better. And then that summer, I went to five star basketball camp uh, and played really well. And I was out there. Uh, that was my sophomore year. So then going to my junior year, uh, I went back to five star. And then all of a sudden, I was making these all star teams and uh, playing with the elite guys. You know, Rod Strickland was there. Um, What's his name? Ben Simmons was there. Um, I mean, you name it. Doug West. I mean, you name it. All of the top guys right. were there. So then I started to right. think, you know what? I might have a chance at this thing because I'm <laughs> playing with all the elite guys. I never looked at myself as an elite. But I said, you know, I'm playing with these cats and I'm holding my own. So then after my junior year, the phone started to ring, you know. and But I had already kind of pledged my allegiance to NC State, not really even knowing much about NC State. And my favorite player was James Worthy. Um, and that's why I wore the number 52 was because of I James Worthy. I never knew that, so, man. Thanks uh, for telling me that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the people at NC State don't like it when I say that, but it's the truth. So I got to go. You know, Worthy was my favorite player, so you know, I because I, you know, that that year that they beat Georgetown was my freshman year. Right. So Jimmy Black went to high school at Cardinal Hayes. Jimmy Black is from the city. Right. So Jimmy Black went to Hayes, and Jimmy Black was playing for Carolina. Right. See, and that's all interesting. Okay, I remember that Magic and Larry Bird. That was that was probably the first college game that I scored uh, that I saw was the Magic and uh, Larry Bird game. They played, they played. But that was my second game, and uh, you know, I just fell in love with James Worthy and how he played. So, um, you know, after the phone started ringing, you know, uh, it was you know Carolina, Duke. Uh, it was West Virginia, DePaul, Maryland was re- Maryland was really hot on me. Um, but you know, I had pledged my allegiance to NC State. And I had committed early and um, I had thought about, you know, getting out of my commitment and, uh, you know, pursuing UNC. And I talked to my dad and my dad was like, you know, you gave your word and, you know, I'm gonna leave it on you, but you gave your word, you know what I'm saying? So people will respect you for your word. So, you know, he just kind of said that that's all he had to say. So I stuck with my decision and, you know, it was a good decision. Everything worked out just fine. And, you know, after you know, after all that happened, um, you know, I got I got drafted. I went to NC State, had a great four years. Um, you know, got drafted to Cleveland 
uh, in the second round, uh, the 43rd pick. And, um, you know, once that happened, uh, you know, I, I, I got to go to, you know, every, like I said, everything works out for a reason. I went to, that was the best team for me to go to when I got there. You know, it had a group of veterans, Larry Nance, Tree Rollins, uh, Mark Price, Craig Elo, Hot Rod Williams, Ron Harper, and uh, Larry just kind of took me under his wing, you know now, what I'm saying? So, I got to interrupt you on that. I played college at Washington State with Craig Elo. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you know Craig. Yeah. So you know Craig. Very well. Yeah, Craig was Very cool. Well. You know, Craig was a little strange. He was cool. He was a little strange. He said crazy off the wall stuff sometimes. Well, I played, <laughs> but he was a good dude, though. I played for George. I played for George Raveling at Washington State. And I was a sophomore when Craig transferred in from Lubbock, uh, Texas. So, um, Okay. Yeah, I uh, okay, so every now and again too, just to check yeah, on we him. Might, we might doing. be more connected. We we might be more connected than you think. Then you know my man Tyrone. I I, I know I know T Ball <laughs> real well. <laughs> real well. Hey, that's my man. I talk to T all the time. He lives yeah, out here. here. I know that. In fact, the next time you run into okay, next time okay, you run okay, into T, okay. you tell him. That Kevin Simmons gave him a big hug and some love because me and him is partners, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'll- yeah. We, we like he he was at Washington State when I was there. After we after we hang up, I'm a holler. But uh, but after I got drafted, like I said, that was the best situation for me. Lenny Wilkins was a was a great um was a great was a great coach for me to start in the league because he taught me a lot of uh, nice lessons. You know, like one story I got with Lenny. You know, every day he was on me about something. <laughs> every day, every day. So one day, one day we were stretching. So I said, I said, you know, just jokingly, but I was serious. I was like, Yo, coach. I was like, Yo, you always on me. Why you always on me? You know, and I kind of laughed about it. So he he jokingly laughing laughing uh, said back to me. He said, Well, you know what? He said. You need to worry when I don't talk to you. <laughs> that sounds like him. I didn't. That sounds like him too. About anything else. That does. <laughs> yeah. I didn't complain or say anything else. So you know that was a great, uh, you know, great entry for me into the league because Larry basically would have me get up early, meet him at the gym, get our weights in, get shots up before practice, and after practice we would also get workout, uh, get our workout in. So. He showed me what it was to be a pro. You know so what I'm saying? So I always had to work at You got mentored by Larry you Nance, Nance, right? Yeah, I basically got mentored by Larry Nance. Couldn't have been a better guy to do it, man. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, it got, got me off to a great start in my career. And then, you know, after I left, left Cleveland, I went to L.A. And I'm with, you know, with my favorite player, James Worthy. I'm playing behind wow. him. So I can't let him know that he was my favorite player at the time because I got to practice against him every day. <laughs> but I'm sitting, there watching, I'm sitting there watching everything that James did. You know what I'm saying? So I'm watching everything. So I, I picked up, you know, and I'm talking to Byron Scott all the time about, yo, well, why you do this, 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 this. So, well, know, there's another I, I six took degrees the of separation because I'm friends with B because in high school, we went to a camp like the one you went to at Five Star, except we went to one out here on the West right. Coast called the Super, called Superstar Camp. And he, myself, okay. Cliff Levingston, uh, and Greg Kite okay. and Leon Wood was on the same team, and we won. We ran through camp. We went ten and zero, and 
And I ended up, I ended up being picked in the top 15 with all of these great players right. that were there. Cause I was on that team with them cats running and they was like, bitch, go ahead, big fella, do your thing. <laughs> and these guys were all right. They were all well known. All of them. Every last one of them. Right. From Leon to Byron right. to Cliff to Greg Kite. Yeah. I was just some dude that showed up and didn't nobody know nothing about me. <laughs> and I played well, and that's when George came over to me and said, Yeah, I'm coming for you. And I said, Okay, I'll, I'll be listening. <laughs> right. so see, you and I got right, a whole right, lot. Right. We got a whole lot of connection here, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's what's that's what's, what's, up, that's what's up, man. But yeah, B used to, uh, you know, they they gave Worthy the nickname Clever, right? So you know, I'm asking, well, why they why they why they call him Clever? So uh, then Byron was like, well, just watch him in the post. He just make clever moves. So I was like, oh, okay. So so I just kind of like you know, like I said, Worthy. You know, I kind of like. You know, would, would, would pester him a little because he was my favorite player, and you know, I had the opportunity to play with him, and not many guys now, you know, get as that. Far as, learning, you know what I'm as far so, as you know, learning, my, you know, game, career, as far as learning the game, as far as learning how to play, because uh, you said you were stealing his moves and, and practicing against them. What things did you take from him that you actually put into practice, right? That you actually used on the court. Um, like there was one like worthy spin move to the baseline. You know, I asked him about that, and what he told me was, when you feel the guy's body close, close, that's when you spin. When you when his body hits your body, that's when you spin. So I took that move and worked on it. And you know, especially like when I was back home in the summertime, I was killing cats with that. So I would get the ball on the baseline. And I was back up. As soon as I felt their body hit me, I spun on them, lay up or whatever. So I ever so I, I definitely took. Um, now, if I remember I correctly, isn't me, he from uh, North from Carolina work. too? Gastonia. In fact, he yes, he's from Gastonia, he was North Carolina. From Gastonia, right? He was my. Him and Sleepy are from Gastonia, right. and they I guess they played against each other a lot in high school as well. And met in the uh, in the championship, but you know, like I said, I was watching the game. You know, uh, I, Worthy was my favorite player when I when I left New York City. And I was watching the game because of Jimmy okay. Black. Jimmy Black was the Cardinal Hayes. Ty Brown. So Ty Brown was so the one telling me the stories Worthy. about uh, James Worthy and uh, uh, Sleepy Florida. That's how I know all that. <laughs> it was yeah. Ty was telling. Okay. Me. Okay. And yeah, because Dominique Wilkins is from down here, too. You let me know that. So, see, it's basketball, like I tell people right. all the time, basketball is weird because it's like six degrees of separation. Everybody knows everybody because they know somebody who knows somebody who knows you. Right. <laughs> that's pretty much how it goes down. That's right. That's right. That's right. And like that's I said, right. you and that's me just right. sitting up here talking, we know a lot of the same people, which is funny, but like I said, it don't surprise me at all. <laughs> now, over the course of your career, you played with a lot of different teams. Which team do you have the most affection for? Can you hear me, Chuck?
over the course of your career, uh-huh. with you know the teams you all the teams that you played on, right? Which ones or which which one would you say was the one that you felt the most comfortable with, and the circumstances were the best for you as a player and as a person? Um, that's a good question. Let me see. Um, uh, I have a couple. I think that um, when I played in New Jersey was the right times for me because I was young. I played guys. It was Kenny Anderson, Derek Coleman, Drazen Petrovic, uh, Ramil Robinson. Um, and then we had a nice mix of veterans. We had Bernard King, Maurice Cheeks, oh, uh, Rick Mahorn, um, Sam Bowie. I think at that time, it was the best place for me. You know, at that time, because I was young, you know, and I was with... A, a nice mix of guys, good veteran guys that could show you the ropes um, and young guys, young, talented guys. Um, now, after that, I'll say, you know, Houston was probably uh, the most comfortable as well because that was a team that, you know, if you looked at our roster from top to bottom, you know, we weren't that good other than uh, we were top heavy. You look at Dream and you look at Clyde and then, you know, after that, you got, you know, you know, maybe you like Robert or Sam, you know, or Mario or Kenny. But after that, it was like, you know, who are these guys? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that that team was the best team for me because everybody knew their role. Um, you know, everybody didn't always get along, but we always had that one goal at hand and that was to win. So, you know, off the court, like we didn't hang out a lot, but on the court, you would have thought that we lived together. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. everybody had that one goal at hand. You know what I mean? Because, you know, guys have families and stuff. So they was going to them after practice or doing whatever they do. But I say that that team at that time was also the best for me and I was most comfortable uh, with them because everybody knew their role. And uh, there was no, you know, once we got on the court, it was business. And, you know, I thought that that was a a great approach. And that was probably the most business-like team uh, that I had been around. Now, did the coaching or the management have anything to do with how the players approached the game? I think Rudy did. I think Rudy T did because, uh, you know, Rudy was a guy that, um, you know, he didn't, he he was like a motivator type of guy. You know what I'm saying? He, we, we did our plays and like he, he knew how to, he knew what buttons to push. You know, he reminded me a lot of Coach Valvano because he knew what buttons to push and he knew what to say to you um, at the right time. I don't know how he knew it, but he just knew it. You know, so um, and like he just had so much confidence in me. I was already confident, but when he had the confidence he had in me, it made me even be even more confident in myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So um, I think Rudy had more to do with it because I think that the management had, had started changing a little bit um, because they had just got the new owner. Leslie Alexander had just became a new owner. So the upper management part was not really solid, I'll say. I ain't going to say it. it. was stable, but it wasn't <laughs> solid. <laughs> it was stable, but it wasn't solid. Like, people probably was a little afraid for their jobs. You know what I'm saying? When you have new managers, you got people, he got people he going to hire. You know, and the last guy that was there, m- most likely his people are going to get clipped. You know what I'm saying? So right. I think Rudy was 
the one that kept everything together. And I think that, you know, I think that Rudy was a big part of the success there. What did what, what do you think he saw in you that made him trust you and believe in you enough to get you out there and, and basically let you do your thing? I think he saw how hard I worked in practice and how hard I worked in the games. Um, because there were times that, you know, you know, he I ended up starting and you know, if you played like over twenty-five minutes or something like that, and we had uh if and we had just played a back to back the next day at practice, you didn't have to go. I would always come. You know what I'm saying? And um he would make me go home. You know, he'd tell me to go home, but even then I'd go find a Y or something and, and get my work out <laughs> in. You know what I'm saying? Where he couldn't see. He didn't know that. But um but you know, just I think he just saw how hard I worked and that, you know, not bragging enough, but I didn't make a whole lot of mistakes um when I was out there on the floor. I made a few, but not I didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. So I think that right there um, you know, made him trust me and and, and give me a shot. Now when you have a mix of guys, because you were talking about all the veterans on that team. You're talking about right. Mario Ellie and you're talking about uh, uh I think did you play with Clyde? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played okay. with Clyde. Yeah, him, Clyde, Akeem, Mario. You know, Mario Ellie, Kenny Smith. Was there any issues in your opinion? Because it seemed like you guys had no no egos. It was like everybody was just down to do their job. Um, no, nah, we didn't really have any issues, man. I mean, you know, you might have an issue here. I remember uh, one time Robert and, Robert and Clyde got into it because. Uh, Clyde uh, may have thrown Robert a pass and Robert missed it. And <laughs> it might have been an issue there. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, other than that, I mean, they patched that up real quick. And like I said, we all knew what we all wanted was to win. So, you know, everybody was willing to sacrifice whatever they had to do uh, in order for us to get that win, you know, to win that championship. And, you know, it was good for me coming to coming to them in 95 because they had just won it previously in 94. Right. So, um, you know, yeah, but that was that was a, you know, like I said, that team, you know, was, was real business-like, you know what I'm saying? Took care of business. Now, did you play with Scotty Brooks? Scotty was there for a little bit and then he got released. I think they released him a little bit. He was there for a little bit in 95 and then he got released. But yeah, okay. I played with Scotty Brooks for a little bit. Because that's another uh, degree of, of connection or separation between the two of us. Because Scotty okay. is right from Scotty and I trained together in high school. Um, he went. He lived about ten miles away from where I'm talking to you right now. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Like I said, you know, basketball is the strangest, strangest thing there is. It's like a fraternity. You know what I mean? Yep. yep that's and right. if you've been in the frat or you know people in the frat, you pretty much know everybody. <laughs> yep, that's right. You somebody you gonna know somebody that knows somebody. Yep, always how it is. Um, now, did you ever play? Now, before we get into a couple of other things, I want to talk about. Did you ever play overseas? Yeah, I played in Italy. I was over there. I was over in Florence, Italy, probably like two months. I was over there, um, and then I had come back a little bit early. Uh, because that was the time when um, sometimes they wouldn't pay your money if you didn't go to a good spot. So uh, when I, I got behind, they were behind on my payments. And I was like, look, y'all need to catch up on my payments or I'm out. You know what I'm saying? I was coming back to go uh, to go back to uh, to college and finish up on my degree because I didn't have much to finish. And, right. uh, 
we played a game on a Sunday, so I didn't tell nobody. You know, they they didn't they didn't uh, catch up on my payments. So I called my agent and said, "Look, I already got my plane ticket. I'm gonna hop on the train after the game, go up to Milan, and I'm out." So um, he said, "All right, well, I'll, I'll I'll negotiate getting you, you know, whatever money we need to get." I was like, "Look, they can keep it. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, 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 I don't even want to fight for it. I don't I don't even want to fight for it. I just want to get out because you know back then." You know, it was back in like 93. I'm watching the news and I'm seeing, you know, like the real mafia over there. They blowing yeah. up cars over there. So I'm like, Look, I'm trying to get home. I ain't trying to be found hanging in my room. I ain't trying to sit in my car and turn the ignition and it blow up. I'm trying to get to the house. So I ain't saying nothing to nobody. You know what I'm saying? So, so I ain't let nobody know I was leaving. I hopped on the train after we played Sunday night. We played up in uh, Sardinia. I think it was Sardinia. We played up in there. So we came back to Florence. And then uh, that night I went back. And, like, the games were early. So I hopped on the train, like, about 9 o'clock at night and shot up to Milan. And uh, I remember staying at this five-star hotel. And as soon as I got off the train station, I saw a McDonald's. And I don't really even eat McDonald's like that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have McDonald's today. So I went and had McDonald's, went up in my hotel room. And I remember specifically the Eagles were playing the Cowboys. It was on a Monday night or they had the Monday night game was on. Because, uh, you know, like we're, I think they're, they're like hours ahead. So I might have left on a Monday. I can't remember. But I left on a Monday. It was a Monday night game was on right. when I got to the hotel. And, um, you know, I just left and came on back and all. Like when I got... Uh, before I got to the airport, my agent uh, had called my hotel room and was like, well, the Nets want to bring you in. Um, so I was like, oh, for real? This is in October when I came back. And then I flew straight from Italy to New Jersey. And that's when I signed with the Nets. Okay. Okay. Now, it, it, like I said, I try to explain to people because I, 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 I went over there for a little bit too. But right. it wasn't, uh, you know, at, at the level you were at. But people don't understand that at that time, it was like the wild, wild west in European oh. basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. It's like it was no rules, man. So no rules. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was no rules, man. And and you know, and I and and this place, uh Florence, I played for Pana, Pana Water, which is over here now, but I had played for the sponsored by Pana Water. And that right. was supposed to be like one of the better places. It was uh, A2. It was A2, though. It wasn't A1. It was A2. But we played uh, A1 teams uh, right. up in Milan. I remember Antonio Davis was over there at the time uh, playing in Milan. Um, and we played them in the Italian Cup. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was crazy over there, man. So like like I said, you you had to watch yourself. You had to be careful. It, it wasn't you know, it wasn't like you got a whole bunch of security with you. Well, and and the thing is, it, everybody, it, it's a competition, not just on the floor, but a competition right. in cities, competition yep. between owners, competition yep. between, like you said, some people that wear overcoats and hats. That's right. That's right. I'm telling you, man. So and you know, it was it was scary. It was a little scary. The last thing you want to do is do something to upset the cats with the overcoats and hats on. That's a bad thing. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. And you a foreigner, and you are a foreigner over there. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. And you have to keep that in mind. So I, I get all that. I remember all that. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay, now let's get into a little bit of stuff like you know from, from current times. What do you see? as far as like the bubble and how the NBA has handled it, how would you uh, rate the way that all of this stuff has gone down with this COVID? 
Um, I rate how the NBA handled it. Um, I probably I'll give it an A, uh, an A plus, pretty much, because they've had no um, COVID problems or whatever. Um, you know, because I was one of the ones that's saying, you know, if you know, maybe they should wait, you know, and 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 get get through this and then start back up. Uh, but you know, let's see how it goes. But I, I give, I definitely give them an A. I think I thought that also. I didn't know how good the quality of basketball would be. I thought it would get better as it, as it as it went on, which it has. But I didn't know at the beginning. Like I was like, man, it's gonna be dudes out here pulling hamstrings and all that because you you out here trying to go hard and you ain't been going hard in months. You know, I, I thought it would be a, a lot more injuries. Uh, but it hasn't, so I have to give the NBA a, a A plus with how they've, um, you know, put on, uh, put on the, uh, put on the, 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 um, the games and stuff. Now, you and I, you know, have seen a few things, and you know how guys are, right? When you talk when about, you talk a about, bubble, I kind of expected some people to make some mistakes. <laughs> right, right, right. As as far as letting in people they shouldn't let in, we and, and in fact somebody did that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. I, I kind of saw that coming because I figured it had to happen at least once. But right. now, in terms of the discipline that it would take to be able to uh, run this in a manner that it you can keep everything under control, and then also do think do right by the guys. How do you think that the players union in the league handled that? I think they've handled it. I think they've handled it. They've done a great job. I think they've done a great job. I will say that, you know, there's probably some stuff uh, that is going on in the bubble that we don't know about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I will say that, you know, that they, they've been real selective in, in, in the information that they let get out. So, you know, as far as that goes, you know, I think I think things have you know have, have gone great. You know, the guys that I know that are in there when they get out of there, I'm gonna holler at them and, and get some of the dirt because <laughs> I'm sure there's some. I'm sure it wasn't a per ain't nothing perfect. So, um, so yeah. So, I, but I think you know from the outside looking in, they've done a great job. I think everything has been excellent the way they've done it. You know, from the outside well uh, in. again, like I said, you and I know we know some things. <laughs> And I knew even through, throughout this whole time, I'm saying to myself, you know, I got to give them credit because however they've kept the lid on this, they did a yes. real good job because I know better. Yes, <laughs> we know better. That's right. We know, know better, better than that. I'm not falling right. for that. I know better. That's uh, right. That's right. Now, to shift gears a little, I'm kind of on the same subject. How do you feel about what the NBA and the players have done in terms of their message uh, in terms of uh, social justice and what they're dealing with as far as police brutality and Black Lives Matter, how do you do you think the NBA and the players have done the right thing and handled it in the proper manner? Yeah, I think they've done the right thing, um, but it, it just can't stop here, though. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna see, like, once we get out this bubble, you know what I'm saying? Like, we want to see this this continue. Um, I think they've done, a, done. I think Milwaukee did the right thing by not playing. I think the players did the right thing by not playing for the simple fact that you can't be out there playing and have, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, say his name and all this on your jersey. And then you see 
another couple cats get killed mm-hmm. and keep playing like it's business as usual. So, well, I, I, in I thought, it happened in their own state. That's right. It happened in their state. So you can't you can't possibly uh, continue to play after that because it's it's almost like you know like what's the the crazy chick uh the ingram chick on fox <laughs> yeah that nut that nut bag like she it's almost like what she says shut up and dribble like you're not supposed to feel any empathy or know that this is going on you know what i'm saying and um i think that i think that the guys you know need to keep the pressure on um you know because this stuff and, and still, this stuff's still going on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's still going on. It it really hadn't slowed down. So you know, and it, and it's almost like, you know, they they they're not taking they're not taking the message seriously because you know we're not ready or or are we ready to do what they did for their freedom and equality? You know what I'm well, saying? I so, have an opinion on why. Uh, you know, people like Laura Ingram say the stuff that she says. Okay. What she doesn't understand is, is that even though guys that are playing in the NBA are well paid, they're flying, you know, in, in right. private planes and all that kind of stuff and have nice homes and all that, she right. thinks that they shouldn't be complaining because they don't right. they're not living the situation that a lot of other black folks are. And what she doesn't understand is because they're living in that situation doesn't mean they ain't got family that's not living in that situation. Right. Or they don't have friends who are in that situation. Or that they themselves don't go through stuff just stopping at a stoplight. I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that same thing because I I had ran into some incidents when I was in the league. I I went to a a store. I was playing in Cleveland and I went to a store in this small town and got some gas and went in and got me a Tahitian treat. Uh, It was like 75 (laughs) cents. Drink. I remember the drink. So I I give the dude a dollar and the dude just like flipped my quarter at me, hit the counter and went on the floor. So I'm like, yo, man, what's your problem? So it just so happened I had another partner with me. And as I'm getting ready to get confrontational, he was like, yo, uh, the dude was like, yo, when my man came in, he was like, yo, I'm going to call the police. So my man was like, yo, Chuck, let's get out of here. You know what I'm saying? So then we bounced. You know what I'm saying? But I was playing in the league at that time. So and this dude didn't know that. But had he known that, I probably would have got treated a little differently. You know what I'm saying? And here's the problem. That's it. Right. Yep. Yep. And see, and that's yep. what you see, and that's what you can get these people to understand. Right. It's like I don't think they want to understand, though. I don't think they want to understand. I think they could care less. Expound on that. Tell me why you say that. Tell me why you say that. I, I, I think that they could care less because nothing's happening to them. I think that when they see, you know, when you see the cops killing black people and and you're and you're, you know, some 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 white folks, not all, some. You know, when you're on that some of the white folks side, you see that it's not happening to, you know, people that look like you. It's like, oh, wow. You know, then you start thinking, you start making excuses. Well, what, you know, well, what did he do? You know what? Yeah. You know, it, oh, yeah. he shouldn't have ran. He should have, he should have complied. And, you know, all that stuff. I think when it's not happening to them, you know, that's why 
you know, they could care less about it. You know what I'm saying? But when it starts, you know, happening to them, like, you know, you hear about, you know, these cancer people, when it starts happening to them or the method, the people that use the drugs, the meth drug or whatever it is. And it starts, you see a whole lot of people that look like them dying behind. Now, all of a sudden we have empathy and we want to pass these laws to try to help them you know, get into rehab and all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So when it's when it's not happening to them, they don't care about it. Well, and, and well, also and, and, in terms of the way that you publicly in the media, like when you see a guy get shot in a situation that makes no sense and then people try to make sense out of it. Right. A 12-year-old kid standing in a park playing with a plastic toy gun Right. And somebody rolls up on him, jumps out of the car and shoots him. Right. No drop the weapon, no none of that. Just run over and shoot him. 12 year old kid. Yep. There's no justification for that. No. <laughs> we could talk all, all day long and you can make up every excuse you want to. That's not cool. <laughs> That's it's right. just not. That's right. And so right. if somebody tries to make excuses for that, it angers people who know that yep. it's just a, 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 it's not common sense. That's wrong. And that wrong needs yep. to be punished. And that's the that's issue, right. in my opinion. Right. Yep, I agree. I, and, I, and I totally agree with that. When you talk about, you know, what happened to Tamir Rice and then, you know, then nothing happens to right. the guys that did that. You know what I'm saying? So right. now, then you wonder why you know, black people have a certain feeling about law enforcement. Then why, you they're wonder why, why they're angry? This, why they're angry? You know, <laughs> so and then like like now they're wondering why black people. You know, they can't find enough black people to take this uh, this 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 COVID vaccine thing uh, trial test trial. You know, we know about what happened before. For my listeners who don't know what he's inferring, what he's talking about is the Tuskegee experiment yes, where they were yes. given syphilis to black men yep. to find yep. out how it would act in the body of black people first before they tried it on other, before they tried to make a vaccine to help everybody to figure out how to fix it. Yep. So, I mean, you know, they, they wonder why, you know, black people have a certain distrust, uh, <laughs> in, you know, in America. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are things that have happened to to, to black people um, that, you know, I mean, and, and then we're still seeing the killings and the shooting. We're still seeing that. You know, after Rodney King, we thought we had him. Yeah. But, you know, it, you know, it, and nothing happened there. So, you know, I mean, this country got a long way to go and it, and it, should, it shouldn't. It should, it should be much farther than what it is. I completely agree with that. Now, as far as, as a, as a former professional, what do you mm -hmm. see as the role of all athletes or black athletes playing professional sports right now in terms of trying to get this conversation started and moving toward a point to where people see them as just more than athletes, but actually human beings that feel stuff, that go through things and have to deal with things? What do black athletes need to be doing or, or you, what you think they could do to help, in, you know, move that situation along? I think uh, I think continuing to stay aware because I think years, years ago, 
Uh, when I was playing, you know, we were told not to read the newspaper, and we did, and we didn't because we see something, see something bad said about us, and then we go off on the dude that said it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? So we see him and have something to say to him. Uh, so we were told not to read the newspaper. I, I, I feel like, you know, back then too, we were kind of sheltered from the outside world pretty much. You know, we were in our own little bubbles right there. Um, and uh, I think today it's harder to do that with the social media. I think with the Twitter, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, you know, everybody has some form of social media, whether they use one or not. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's harder to um, to not be informed nowadays because I tell you, you know, back when they had the riots in 92, I was playing in L.A. and I didn't even know about the Natasha Harlins case until later. You know, wow. and that happened right. That happened right there. And I didn't know anything. All I knew was Rodney King. You know what I'm saying? But I think now with the social media, you can get real time news like, you know, you can go to your Twitter feed and get real up to you know before before it's put on cnn or or, or in CSNB, msnbc or fox See, news or and i'm gonna tell you, you know why that's true because you remember i saw the video of what happened to sterling brown before it was wow. even on television oh wow because yeah. there was somebody who was there that was videotaping the whole thing on their phone right right so, and yeah, so when so the cop body slammed Sterling Brown basically and telling him and he's saying to them, I don't understand what you're doing. You know, I, do you know who I am? And they're like, so? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and yep. Yep. it can't and then you take the case of Thabo Sebalosha. Yep. He's just coming out of a New York nightclub and he a cop says something to him that he felt was inappropriate. He comments back. Next thing you know, this cat's leg is broken and his career is hanging by a string. Yep. And so, so I, I try I, I, to get people who don't understand the problem or why they feel like athletes have to speak on it. Athletes ain't above all that. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's it right, can man. happen right. to you. Yep. Yep. And, yep. and it's good when I hear uh, professional athletes speak that way in terms of letting people know that I'm really things are good for me but I'm really no different than you are yep I'm just yeah things are good for me because I've been pulled over by the police you know on three occasions in my neighborhood that I live right now they oh, followed me home and asked me what was I doing in the neighborhood and all this type of stuff back when I was a player oh yeah I got pulled over right there at Palace Verdes Cause I was just riding around looking at the cribs and it was on, it was getting dark and I was pulling out and a woman sheriff made a U-turn and pulled me over. And I had like a blue, I had a blue Chicago Cubs hat on. You know, I just wore the C for Chuck. You know what I'm saying? So, right. and I had on jeans and a shirt. So she pulled me over, went through the car, asked me was I a gang banger and all this type mm -hmm. of stuff. So I never told her I played for the Lakers or nothing like that. I never said anything. You know, I was just like gonna see how far she took it. And then another dude came up for her backup and he was just kind of like, you know, he just like, yo, just chill and let her do what she doing. You know, and then you, you'll get out of here quicker. You know what I'm saying? But he wouldn't stop her. <laughs> I was like, wow. yo. You know, wow. That goes to tell you right there that, you know, they they will protect one another. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, 
I have members of my family in law enforcement, and trust me, I understand how all that how all that works. I get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, as, as far as uh, the college stuff goes, in terms of this COVID and how they're addressing it, um, mm-hmm. you played college sports. So in your opinion, is there a safe way right now for these guys to really be doing what they're doing? Because I know at the NBA and the pro level, you can control your environment because you have the money to control your environment. Right. Uh, but my concern or question is, how is the NCAA going to do that when you got kids? And kids are going to be kids. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> how do you think this whole thing is going to go down as far as like the upcoming college basketball season, uh, football's way it's rolling right now? What do you think? Or how do you feel about those situations and what their chances are uh, getting through this pretty well? Well, I think a a good start for the colleges, because I have a daughter in college now, I think a good start for them doing the remote learning thing. I think that's a good start right there. And like on, on, at least on UNC's campus, everyone, you know, students walking around and everyone got to wear a mask. So I think that that helps. And I think that uh, I know at least uh, her sport, she plays soccer. So I know in her sport, like they're keeping everybody together kind of in their own little bubble. And they're not really like mingling with people outside of their bubble. So um, I think that's a start for them. And hopefully if they can continue to do that. Now, the hard part is you're going to have somebody that's going to slip out, I know, I know probably, you know, especially with the boys. You know what I'm saying? We, we both men, we know. So the boys going to try to slip out. Yeah, so I think football is going to be tougher because you got greater numbers. So, you know, and, you know, you got probably, you know, 60, 70 dudes. And it's highly unlikely that all of them are going to be disciplined, you know, and, and <laughs> just being boys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And whereas, you know, my daughter's on the team with about 19, 20 girls. Girls listen a little better. You know what I'm saying? Girls will listen to you a little better. Um, but you know, it's the, the likelihood of one or two of them slipping out is, is actually actually could happen too. <laughs> so now so they're not perfect. Dad, as a dad with a daughter in college, and especially where because North Carolina did have an outbreak. So, right. so uh, as a dad in college, are you comfortable with your child being there right now under these circumstances? Um, and you think and, and are, how what would you say to another parent? in a similar situation with a child going to college uh, at this point? Well, my daughter, for me, luckily for me, she's kind of off campus in a, in a, in a house. Uh-huh. So um, she doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah, so, so I got a little bit of a unique situation. So she not, she's not really on campus like that. Okay. They come and come, come to uh, when they have their soccer games, they're on campus at the stadium. Um, but, you know, what I would say to a parent is just, you know, just, just, just talk to your kid, man, and just show that you show that your kid don't, don't like, don't badger him. Cause I don't badger her. I just tell her, you know, look and see what's going on. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be like that, you know, there it is. You know, say so you could be like that, but you know, if you want to continue to play, you got to at least do your part. You know what right. I'm saying? So just try to make sure. I would tell each parent to try to just, just try to make sure that their kid is doing their part. And, you know, I think that's that's all you can really do because you know I can't control her. I mean, I can mean I can send these little threats all day, but she ain't living here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can hey, I could FaceTime her and be like, "Yo, you better be at the crib." You know what I'm saying? But right when she hang up on the FaceTime, she can slip out. So you know, it ain't it ain't you know 
you just gotta you just gotta give them that advice and and you know if something happens after that then then you can be that I told you so parent then right so, <laughs> now, <laughs> but you gotta in, try you gotta let them do their thing in terms of how this may affect or how the COVID may affect how guys get drafted or their uh, draft possibilities in terms of uh, what how this how this all is going to affect all of that have you heard anything or do you would you like to speak on um the situation in terms of how these young kids coming out are going to address or deal with the up because the draft is going to be like almost immediately after the the finals and then they they, right. they still don't know when they're going to restart the season what would how do you think this whole thing is going to shake out as far as the athletes that are looking to get drafted into the NBA? Well, I, I think that now, I think that as far as these NBA teams go, you're going to really see whose scouting department has been doing their work. Um, because now um, you can't, I don't think you could have the contact yet. Um, I'm not sure because I know a lot of times they like to fly maybe two or three guys in and they play one-on-one and stuff like that. I'm not sure if they're able to do that yet. So now they're going to have to rely a lot on videotape and, you know, maybe going to see the kids somewhere in person and and relying on them workouts um, instead of relying on them in the uh, five-on-five like they do like in Chicago. So Chicago is not going to come about. So now you're going to really see um, who does, who's been doing their homework and like to, in my personal opinion I think one of the best scouting teams that do, do the best scouting is the, the Miami Heat is probably one of the teams that do the best scouting I would agree with that I, and I would also say Toronto's not far behind them either yeah Toronto's not far behind I, I totally agree so I think Miami is the best with what they've done with their scouting. So I think they, you know, I think they've been doing their work and we're going to see what these other teams do because a lot of times it's really easy to see who can play, like the good players. Like when you go, I scouted too. So I could go in the first five minutes and tell, you know, whether a guy could play or not. You know what I'm <laughs> but you got to play and watch the intangibles, the other stuff, how he reacts to the teammates, how he reacts to the coaches, how he reacts when a bad play happens. You know what I'm saying? How does he react when he comes out of the game, when he don't want to come out? You know, what type of person is he? You know, all that type of stuff. So I think all that stuff is going to be important. And we'll see, you know, about the scouting departments uh, after this draft. If you were a guy coming through college right now under these circumstances, what things would you be doing right now to try to get ready or get yourself noticed to uh, to teams that are looking to draft kids and to uh, get your game where it needs to be without this, you know, being in a situation where you're practicing with teammates and all the other stuff. What kind of things would you be trying to do to get ready for that? I think the biggest thing uh, would be to be in shape and be um, be conditioned. So. I think uh, I probably would would spend a lot of time uh, on the track. I would probably be spending a lot of time on the track and just making sure I'm in shape uh, for do do um, get ready to pop off. Because I think that the basketball part will come back to you easily easier. Uh, but if you're out of shape, if you're out of shape, you got no nothing, shot. Nothing works well when that when that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so I think for me. The big thing for me would be in tip in tip top condition. So that would mean a lot of sprint work for me, distance work, distance work. Uh, you know, just just doing doing those type of things. And like the basketball part, I could go, 
you know, shoot around at a hoop outside because they're not really allowing you inside here yet. Um, so I could I could find a you know you know work on my shot and stuff like that. But the big thing would be um, conditioning because the shot will always come back. You know what I'm saying? Right. It'll, it'll come back, but you got to be in shape. So I think I'd be I'd be doing a lot of work on the track and stuff like that. So now these days, you know, now that you're you know retired father, uh, part of your community, what do you what things do you do to keep yourself uh, busy? Keep yourself, you know, looking looking towards your future. Uh, what kind of things are you doing right now? Right now, um, I coach high school basketball um, at uh, West Johnson High School, um, and I do some trainings with kids, and uh, I do some work with the police department here, uh, speaking at their camp confidence every year. So um, I'm just keeping myself in the community. And, um, you know, like when I got my daughter, I trained my daughter and just, um, you know, just like around the house. I, you know, I don't do a whole lot, but that's just it. You know? <laughs> I'm just around here in the community and my community, make sure my surroundings are cool. You know what I mean? So making sure people know me around here and I get out and, um, you know, like I said, I get out, you know, do little speaking engagements. Uh, whenever I'm asked to, I show up, get it done, knock it out. And, uh, you know, that's about it. You know, I don't do a whole lot. Now, in terms of what uh, sports or how, like the AAU thing and the college thing and how all that interconnects, do you see as a professional a way for college and the NBA in particular, because I can say it about any sport, but college and the NBA in particular, what things they could do to get out of this mess where the arguments about getting paid or not getting paid or when you can turn pro, when you can't turn pro and what circumstances make it okay for you to turn pro. Is there anything you can think of or come up with that would make sense for everybody <laughs> and we could get out um, of paying guys a half a million dollars under the table nonsense and act like we don't see it when everybody know what's going on? <laughs> no, I'm, right. just, I'm, just, I'm just keeping it 100, man. I'm so tired <laughs> Of seeing on TV where somebody, oh, big scandal, coach, get you know, player gets a half a million dollars. Zion apparently is, you know, I mean, he's stuck in between a rock and a hard place because he took some money, his family or his right. folks took some money. And the truth of the matter is, why is it that Duke should get all the money and he gets nothing? I don't get that. Right. So what right. can we do in your mind? What could possibly be done? to clear up some of this smoke and get some of this where everybody gets what they need what they need can you have any idea if you have anything i i think that one thing that could probably uh help is that um take the restrictions off these players let them um market themselves uh, um and maybe teach these players how to become entrepreneurs i think that one thing we don't we don't do here is teach people to become, you know, entrepreneurs. I think people like you know Bill Gates and them cats. They didn't go to college and look at them. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so you know, so they billionaire. They didn't go to college, and now you got you gonna ask a guy, you know, like a guy from Zion who 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 grew up, you know, not probably not having nothing. Got Zion now. Now that he's at Duke, let him market himself. Let him go out and get his own little deals, and you know, allow these guys to go out and do their thing. Because I, I, it, it, that came to my mind because I was over at NC State one day, 
and I saw one of the girl, uh, female basketball players, her picture was on the bus riding by. And I was like, damn, I wonder if she got paid for that. Uh, you, you, know are, saying? You, know the, you know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no. act like you don't no, know the answer did. to that. No, <laughs> you didn't get paid for that. You and I both know right. that, so knock it off. Right. You already know. But they're going to use, but they're going to use uh, her likeness and, you know, she don't get nothing for it. So I think that it should be, you know, because, you know, you have like the, the sports that seem to come from the poorest backgrounds are, are basketball and football. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like soccer, soccer kids, you know, a lot of them come from these rich backgrounds. Like I, 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 you know, I go to the, watch my daughter practice soccer and, you know, I pull up in my little car and, and I see these girls pull up in the Range Rovers and the Mercedes trucks. And I'm like, well, damn, I'm not getting out right now. You know what I'm saying? Yo, yo my whip, my whip, bro. <laughs> and being, why be bad? I mean, so, so I did, you know, you should allow those basketball, football, football uh, players to uh, market, market themselves. And not only that, maybe you help them, you know, for the ones that may not right. get as much of the other. You help right. them. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's just my thought on it. But you know, people, people. One thing, one thing I think COVID has exposed, or one of the many things I think COVID has exposed, is the greed of our country. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And selfishness. I think it's exposed that. You know, it's, it's constantly getting exposed. But you know, we 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 all in this together. So I think you should try to help these young people become entrepreneurs and be able to make money without having to work. Uh, for somebody else, maybe they could start their own business in college. You never know. Right. See, and and I, I so agree with that because, see, where my issue is, is we're sitting here say, allowing or knowing that these guys are getting money illegally under the table right. and then holding right. people accountable for that fact when they could be making it legally in front of our own faces and then there'd be no problem. Yep. Yep. Well, why agree. are we doing? Why are we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, I think it's the greed. The NCAA, like they were saying, how the NCAA makes in that month of March Madness a billion dollars. You know, a, with a B. With you know, a B. So, <laughs> with a B, not an M, a B. You know, <laughs> so and, and these kids actually, you know, don't see any of it. You know, and it's and it and it's just it's just crazy. And like I've I've heard this was a, about ten years ago. I heard like Ohio State will make a million dollars on one Saturday yeah. of college football. Yeah, one Saturday. Yeah, one Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> them so, Michigan. You know, I mean, yep. You know, yep. you got a place that holds a hundred thousand people. You you looking at making a million dollars in a weekend, million plus. Easy, easy. And see, and my thing is. And I get the fact that you know, it's supposed to be an amateur sport. But when you say right. it's an amateur sport and the coach makes $11 million a year, I'm not hearing yep. amateur with that. Yep, that's right. If the coach that's is right. making $11 million a year, there ain't nothing amateur about that. <laughs> ain't nothing amateur. That's you, right. That's right. That's pro exactly money. right. <laughs> yep. And that's I just, right. exactly I just right. get tired of seeing kids having to take money under the table. And we all know, we I mean, I ain't letting out no, no secrets. We all know that, you know, the kids end up at certain places because people are paying for them to be there. Exactly. And 
Yep. It's unfortunate, and I just wish it would just all be above board, and that way nobody would, you know, that there we wouldn't have to talk about that. Let's get right. on to the other stuff, like you said. Teach them how to take care of themselves. Teach them how to themselves to run a business, to be their own entity. Yep. That's what we need, yeah. in my opinion. I just want to hear from you. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's exactly what I've been thinking that way for a while. <laughs> so to wrap things up. If you had to take a minute and look back at your career, look back at your life, uh, did everything pretty much come out the way you wanted it to, or are there some things still on the table that you wish you could have done differently or got handled differently or whatever? Um, I will look back and say this. Um, I wish I would have never probably pursued the coaching. I wish I would have never done that. I wish I would have went and... Yeah, I wish I would have went into refereeing because uh, the referees seem to do things the right way as far as like um, as far as like working your way up and working your way into the league. I think I could be an NBA official right now had I done it earlier, whereas the coaching, uh, the coaching is more so who, you know, I mean, even look, I mean, looking, you know, I hate to bring this one up. You know, I, I love uh, Steve Nash is my guy. I love Steve Nash. And I, I'm not upset with the hire at all. I'm glad because I like to see former players get hired. But I was just a little disappointed in the timing of it. Right. You know, saying with all the Black Matter stuff. I was just a little disappointed in the timing. You know, Steve Nash should have the job. I just think the Brooklyn Nets should have waited before making that announcement. Just wait. You know what I'm saying? Especially with what with what's going on. You know what I'm saying? There's no rush to make the announcement, in my opinion. Right. You know what I'm saying? But like they don't care about my opinion, but I just think the coaching is too political. Uh, <laughs> I think the coaching is too political, and it's it's a lot of nepotism there, and, and more like you know, like who you know. And I see the nepotism in football as well. Like you know, Schottenheimer a kid doing doing uh, 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 what's the other kid that's the head coach for the Niners? He's there, you know. His Schott- dad, I'm not Schottenheimer, but uh, oh, I can't think of his name. But, uh, I yeah, basically, you my brother uh, uh, played at USC, played football at USC, and uh, Paul Hackett was the guy that recruited him. He ended up being a head coach. Right. And now you know who's a big time offensive coordinator? His son. <laughs> See, so yes, there's a lot of nepotism there. More, ne- more nepotism and stuff uh, in the coaching ranks. And right. Like you right. look, like, you, like I love you know, and I, I know all these guys. Like you look at. Um, you know, the Denver Nuggets coaching staff. I love Mike Malone. You know, Mike Malone's dad was Brendan Malone. Brendan Malone, yeah. yeah. Wes Unsell's son is over there. Um, uh, also, the, uh, Rick Adelman's son is over there. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's more like the nepotism thing uh, is more, uh, you know, Paul Silas has a son that coaches. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, you know, and whereas, you know, I couldn't even get an interview. And I'm not saying that all mm. players are built for it. So, you know what I'm saying? Not all players are built for it, but at least let me have an opportunity. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think I think the players, I think former players being involved would protect the league more because players care about the league. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that they don't, but players care about the league too. Former players care about the league. I care about what the league look like because I know there's a lot of people out here who, you know, look at us like spoiled babies and stuff. So I'll be out here defending us all the time. I got you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So, you know, so, but, but I wish that that's one thing I wish I would have went into the officiating instead of the coaching. That's the, the only thing I wish. Okay. Well, hey, man, this flew, this interview flew by, man. I had a great time. 
Uh, <laughs> we have a bunch of connections and stuff that we're going to definitely look into after all this is done. Um, right. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was like one of the greatest things I've done in a while. I appreciate it. And uh, I can only, I just thank you, brother. I appreciate you getting the opportunity well, to get this you. off. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank I, will you for send having you, me. I will send you the links to this this uh, uh, interview just for your own edification and, you know, okay. for your own craps and giggles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you being on. And uh, folks, this was the uh, this episode, another episode of the SOS Amazon Sports Radio Show and Podcast. Uh, my guest was Chucky Brown. Thanks again, Chuck, man, and have a great day. All right. Thank you. You too, my man. All right, brother. All right. Later. <laughs>